Hey, uh, it's so good to see you guys. Uh, if we haven't met yet, uh, my name's Trevor. I'm just honored to be uh, the pastor here at Radical Church. Started it three years ago, and God's been blessing us ever since. And, uh, and we've been in this series uh, for the last, oh goodness, three weeks now, called Culture Clash. I want somebody to say Culture Clash. Man, it has been very interesting. Week one, we talked about uh, alcohol in the Bible. What does God say uh, about alcohol? And then we talked uh, week two about abortion. What does the word of God have to say about abortion? What does culture have to say about abortion? And where do those two things line up or not line up? Uh, and then we've talked about a few other things, but today, man, I, I'm very, very excited. And we're gonna be talking about freedom from sexual sin, freedom from sexual sin. That is the title of the message today and in this week four. And I'm gonna go ahead and put this as a caveat right now, is that sexual sin is one of the hardest subjects to teach on, okay? First off, because it's awkward. All right, let's just be real, okay? Like it's super weird, all right? We're gonna be talking about some things today that normally you might not talk about in church, you might not normally talk about with anybody, okay? So uh, let's just get that right out of the way, okay? Uh, the Bible has a lot to say about sexual sin. It has a lot to say about the correct way uh, that we are supposed to enjoy this God-ordained act, which is called sex. It was God-ordained, God-given. He is the one that created this idea even. It was not created by us, amen? It was created by God. And so uh, we need to talk about this thing. But it's one of the hardest subjects to teach on. And a lot of people would think, okay, well, well, LGBTQ would be the hardest one to teach on. And I'm gonna be honest, I don't think that it is. And here's the reason why. Um, I wanna talk about this before we talk about LGBTQ next week, because I think many times the church focuses so much on sexual sin between two people of the same sex, and then we completely gloss over the sexual sin between two people of the opposite sex. We just gloss over like, oh, it, it, this is just how we are. This is how people are. Uh, people are just going to do what people are going to do, right? And this is just what we do as humans. Uh, th this thing, sex, is just as natural as eating and drinking, and we're just going to have these issues, and that's just what it's going to be. And I just don't think that that is the case at all. It's almost as if we just thrown up our hands and said, well, it's just going to happen. And so we just don't need to worry about it. Well, let me tell you, culture says that it's normal to sleep with your girlfriend. It's normal to have multiple partners. And people even ask the, the question that you'll see on TikTok a lot of times now, if you're on there, uh, you'll see on videos, people will ask, they'll say, what's your body count? That's what they say, what's your body count? And for some of you that don't know what that means, you could probably figure it out if you think about it long enough. They say, what's your body count? How many partners have you had? And it's almost like a normal conversation that people can have nowadays. They ask this question as if it's just not a big deal. And let me tell you, the Bible says that it is a big deal. It very much is. We are sexual beings. I think we need to understand that right off the bat. And this is how God created us. But like I said, God is the one that created sex, right? Not Hollywood. They did not create it. They might perpetuate it in their own way, in the twisted way that Hollywood wants to perpetuate it. Porn stars did not create sex, not anybody else. So because God created, God gets to define the standards by which we use it. Amen? Does that make sense? If God's the one that created it. He's the one that defines the standards and the boundaries by which we enjoy it. And so how do we know, what do we know to be true? And I think this is, uh, for the most part, we would agree with this, but we'll talk about why we don't do this in a little bit. We know this to be true, that any sexual activity outside of covenant marriage between a man and a woman 
is outside of God's plan. I'm gonna say it again. Any sexual activity outside of covenant marriage between a man and a woman is outside of God's plan. Let me tell you, Satan has taken what God meant to be this holy act between a man and his wife, and he has perverted it, he has twisted it, and he has replaced it with pornography, with lust, adultery, and many, many other sins. He has taken this thing, and he has changed it into something that it was not. Now, I wanna ask you a question as we get started. How many of y'all remember having to talk with one or both of your parents? And I sure hope that it was not super awkward. But uh, listen, I remember having the talk with my mom and my dad kind of separately at different times. Uh, one of them in involved a book that I was given. Come on now. How many of y'all know as a parent, the easiest thing that you could do is just be like, hey, uh, here's this book. I want you to read it. And that's it, okay? <laughs> that's like the easiest cop-out way to ever get out of having the talk. Like, you just read this, and then we won't even really talk about it. We'll just be like, you read it? You good? Okay, all right. I just want to make sure you did, okay? They didn't read it. I can promise you that, all right? Uh, but it was awkward. It was weird. And maybe some of you had kind of more of a legit talk with your mom or your dad about the birds and the bees, but uh, it's necessary, right? It's a necessary talk to have. I th really think it is. I've said it every single week. Why are we talking about culture clash? It's because culture's going to tell you its way of doing things, and the Bible has its way of doing things. God has his way of doing things. And as Christian parents, especially those of you that do have kids, maybe you have young children, you haven't had this talk yet, but you know it's coming and you're not looking forward to it. Maybe you have older children that are already grown up and you're looking back and you're remembering this talk or maybe you're about to have the talk with a, a, a teenager or somewhere in that 6th, 7th, 8th grade range. I don't know where you're at right now. But let me tell you, it's very necessary to have these kinds of conversations. Why? I'll say it every week because if you do not get a biblical perspective, culture will give you its perspective. Amen? Culture will push its perspective and its ways on you if you do not look to the Bible and God for answers. And here's the deal. This is what we also know to be true, is that the church is full of sexual sin. Why do we know this? Because it has been since the very, very beginning. Paul has to have the talk, if you will, with the Corinthian church. They were accepting all kinds of forms of sexual sin. And, and this, the Greco-Roman culture that they lived in was actually very, very sex positive, if you will. They, they were very accepting of all different kinds of sex as normal. Prostitution, adultery, pedophilia, homosexuality, all of these other kinds of acts were all considered very, very normal to them. I mean, they would visit brothels uh, and temples where there would be temple prostitutes even that uh, actually served these gods of sex and then you were supposed to have sex with them in order to honor these different gods. I mean, this was a very, very normal thing in this culture. So now imagine Paul who's been completely transformed from Saul to Paul, and now he's going to preach to the people in Corinth. He's going to preach to these people that have grown up in this culture that's so sex positive and it's just so uh, flippant about it, as if it doesn't really even matter. And now he has to go in and talk to these people about what it means to live pure before God. That's gonna be a pretty tough challenge, right? It's gonna be pretty tough. And so um, he goes and gets a bunch of people saved, starts the church at Corinth. That's where we get 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians from. It gets a bunch of people saved, and then he leaves. Why? Because he's got to go preach to some other people. He's got to go start more churches. That's what Paul does. So what do you think might happen after Paul leaves in this culture? 
the culture is going to start to seep in, right? Because that's what culture does. Culture and Satan wants to get his ways and his thoughts into the church, into the house of God. That's what he's trying to do. And so their culture begins to influence them. And so when Paul starts to see these ideas and practices enter the church, he takes a really strong stance against it in this letter that he writes to them. So we're gonna start out 1 Corinthians 5, 1 through 2. It says this. It's actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you and of a kind that even the pagans do not tolerate. A man is sleeping with his father's wife and you are proud. Shouldn't you rather have gone into mourning and have put out of your fellowship the man has been doing this? He says that there is sexual immorality among you, even the kind that the pagan people do not even tolerate. He's saying basically that this man is sleeping with his father's wife, essentially his stepmother. And of all the different things that they accept, oddly enough, they don't really accept this. This was actually something that was against the law. You could not do that. All the different crazy sexual acts you could do, you weren't allowed to do this thing. And so right from the beginning, at the very beginning of the first churches, after Jesus goes away and Paul's establishing these churches, they're already dealing with sexual sin. Already, right from the beginning. And then he takes it very, very seriously, though. He actually says to the point that you need to kick this dude out of the church. This dude shouldn't even be allowed to come to the church because he's proud of it. And you're all okay with this. How are you fine with this, is what he's saying. You're actually proud that he's doing this? Well, what in the world is going on over in this church? He eventually says, hey, maybe I need to come and uh, actually talk to you guys about this in person because this has become a really big issue. So how serious is sexual sin? Let's see what he says one chapter later. 1 Corinthians 6, 18 through 20 says, flee from sexual immorality. Flee from it. Every other sin a person commits outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with the price, so glorify God in your body. He says, run from it. Get away from it. Flee from it. I need somebody to say, run from it right now. Run from it. Let me hear you say, run from it. (laughs) We got to get away from all forms of sexual sin. You got to get out of there. Run like your life depends on it is what he's basically saying. Flee. Not just a casual, oh, I better get away from this. He's saying flee as if there is an army that is chasing after you. Get away from this stuff. This isn't something that we should be taking very lightly. It's something that we should be actively resisting. But we should run from all sin, amen, right? We should run from all different forms of sin. And a lot of people say, well, all sins are created equal. Well, sure, that is true. All sins uh, are, are sins against God. There's no sin that is greater in sinfulness, if you will. But there are some sins that are greater in impact. There are some that are, they're not greater in sinfulness, but they're greater in the impact that they have on you and on the people around you as well. Murder is not a greater sin than lying, technically in the eyes of God. But one will get you a slap on the hand and one will put you in prison forever, right? Like you can tell that there's a difference between these sins, not because it's, it's all sin, but yet one of them has a much different impact than the other. So sexual immorality, pornography, lust, adultery, they aren't just sins. And he says that 
They're also sins against your own body. It's a very interesting way that he puts it. And you're uniting yourself in sin with somebody else. And the body that God has given you, you're now using it for something that is sinful in the eyes of God. And this is why he takes it so seriously. He says that our bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit. Well, the culture at that time viewed their bodies as fairly insignificant. They viewed sex as just, well, this is just our body. It just is the the house for our soul and our spirit. They didn't actually think that our bodies were very important at all. And so sex to them was just not that big of a deal. It doesn't really matter. And, And so Paul says, no, 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 no. What you do with your body matters a whole lot, actually, because God made you his temple. The Holy Spirit lives within you, so you need to honor God with your body. This, is, this would have meant a whole lot more to them than maybe it does to you and me. Because we understand that our bodies are important. The things that we do with our bodies are important. They didn't have the same mindset that we do today. So he, this is a novel concept for them, to honor God with my body. It's not something that they would have ever been taught before. But we still struggle with it, Right? Just because we have a different mindset than them doesn't mean that we don't struggle to honor God with our bodies. And so I think lust is one of the most difficult sins to overcome and not just for men, okay? We're gonna talk about that today too. A lot of times these conversations are all just geared right towards the men, but women deal with this uh, almost just as much as men in some ways. So how does Paul instruct the Corinthian church to deal with it then? He says in 1 Corinthians 7, we're going 1 Corinthians 5, 6, now we're going to 7. Verse one through five, it says this. Regarding the questions you asked in your letter, yes, it is good to abstain from sexual relations, but because there is so much sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife and each woman should have her own husband. So Paul, he was single, okay? And so he actually, you'll see in just a moment, he wished that everybody was single. He just wanted everybody to be single so that they could focus on God, focus on the things that he had called them to do. And he says, hey, this is just something that me personally, I view, this is my view on this. This is not a command. He says it's as a concession. So it's something that I would love to see is some men and women that just wholly devote themselves to God for the rest of their lives. Because if you have a wife or a husband, how many of y'all know that you got some more troubles now? You know what I mean? Like you got some things to worry about. If you add some kids into the mix, you got a whole lot more things to worry about. And it's a lot more difficult to focus on prayer. It's a lot more difficult to focus on doing the things that God needs you to do. Why? Because you have so many other things to think about and worry about. So it's more of a concession, not a command. But what do we see here? He says, because there's so much sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife and each woman should have her own husband. And this is just one of many verses where we get this idea of one man, one woman, and one lifetime. Amen? One man, one woman, forever, one lifetime. This is just one of many, and we'll talk about that next week. But then he goes on. The husband, verse three, should fulfill his wife's sexual needs and the wife should fulfill her husband's needs. The wife gives authority over her body to her husband and the husband gives authority over his body to his wife, okay? First thing that I find real interesting here is that he acknowledges that we have needs, okay? Like, we know this is true. Ask your husband, he will tell you real quick, okay? We all have sexual needs, all right? This is something that we are wired with, we are built with. Some of the husbands are like, amen, like he knows what's up, he knows what's up. Okay, so we're gonna keep going here. Do not deprive each other of sexual relations unless you both agree to refrain from sexual intimacy for a limited time so you can give yourselves more completely to prayer. 
that's kind of that same idea where he's saying, I wish you were all kind of single so that you could just do prayer all the time. Afterward, you should come together again so that Satan won't be able to tempt you because of your lack of self-control. I'm gonna say this real quick. A sexless marriage is not a biblical marriage. And somebody said, hallelujah, right? Come on now, internally, because you were too worried to say it out loud. I know it's okay. A sexless marriage is not a biblical marriage. It's just not. Sex is God-ordained. It's good for you. It's good for your spouse. It's a good thing to be united in this way. And each of you has a responsibility to meet the needs of the other. Uh, You see where it says, do not deprive each other of sexual relations. Let me just be real with you real quick. I know some people are different, but there are some stereotypes that are pretty much true for the most part. Uh, I think some man probably just got real excited right now because his wife's been holding out on him. And he's like, well, Pastor Trevor said that you have to Netflix and chill with me tonight. (laughs) He said it. He said it's biblical. You got to do it. But hold on now. You don't get to demand sex if you treat your wife like trash. All right, because the Bible also says you're supposed to love your wife like Christ loves the church. So if you're not even doing that, then man, you could just roll yourself right on over and turn off the light and go to sleep because you ain't getting nothing tonight, okay? Why don't you try to treat your wife like Christ loves the church and then maybe you can have the conversation about don't deprive me from sex because Pastor Trevor said that, okay? Listen, don't take a, a passage out of context now. Meet each other's needs physically, Yes, you are supposed to do that. But you cannot neglect to meet each other's emotional needs as well. Women are wired this way. Men are wired to be more sexual in nature. We have more of a sex drive. For the most part, I am speaking in stereotypes, I understand. But this generally is true, is that men are more sexual in nature and women are more emotional in nature. Men, if you meet the emotional needs of your wife, she will be much more willing to meet these needs that you have. That just is what it is. And then women, in the same way, if you meet your man's sexual needs in this way, he will probably be more able and willing to meet the emotional needs. And this is where the idea comes that we give and we take and that we submit to one another. And this passage says that your body is not your own anymore. Your body now belongs to your spouse. But here's the deal. Yours belongs to theirs and theirs belong to you. So this idea of mutual submission is what we get here. So Meet each other's needs physically and emotionally. Can I get an amen? There we go. Come on, <laughs> two people said amen. First Corinthians 7, 8 through 9. We're gonna keep going on this passage, all right? We're just gonna walk right through it. So I say to those who aren't married and to widows, it's better to stay unmarried just as I am. And he later says, this is just, this is just what I think. It's not a command. It's not like from God necessarily. But if they can't control themselves, they should go ahead and marry It's better to marry than to burn with lust. So he wanted people to not get married so they could focus on God, but he knows not everybody's called to that. There might be some people that God might call you to stay single for the rest of your life in order to advance the gospel. Good for you, that's amazing. But he knows most people, that's not gonna be the case. So he says, hey, instead of you burning with lust for your boyfriend or girlfriend, instead of you having this love for them and you just can't contain yourself any longer, why don't you just go ahead and get married so that you will not fall into sin? Why? Because uh, we believe that sex is supposed to be only enjoyed between a man and a woman in the covenant of marriage, amen? And so he's like, you might as well just go ahead and get married. And, and, And the world today says that sex before marriage is no big deal. You might as well. You should, as a matter of fact. It would be weird if you didn't. 
And, but we believe as Christ followers that sex before marriage is a sin. It's meant to be enjoyed between a man and a woman in covenant with one another. But our culture says living together is almost a prerequisite before you can get married. And people say, I gotta try it before I buy it. I, mean, I gotta test drive, you know what I mean? Like, I gotta know what's up. We gotta make sure that we are physically compatible before we get married, okay? This is Satan's biggest lie that I think he's perpetuating right now when it comes to our uh, Christian sexual ethic is that he wants you to buy into this trash that you have to try it before you buy it. Let me tell you, the idea here is, is mutual submission to one another. If you are able and you are willing in a covenant marriage to say, you know what, my body is not my own, is yours. And to know that this person is also saying, my body is not mine, is yours. I don't care if you have different views of sex or whatever it might be, you'll be able to figure that thing out because of the idea of mutual submission to one another. And you understand that I'm giving myself to you and you're giving yourself to me. Amen, does that make sense? So every time I talk with people that are living together before they're married, I always hear the same problems. I find it very interesting. They, they have the same issues. And this is what happens. A lot of times, somebody will end up leaving and it will really, really break this person's heart after they've been living together, after they've been sleeping together for quite a long time. And this is what I always tell them. I say the same thing and I want you to listen to me today. You're dealing with married people problems without being married because you're doing married people things without being married. I'm gonna say it again, just to make sure we hear this. You're dealing with married people problems without being married because you're doing married people things without being married. And the natural problems that you're going to have in a relationship become significantly easier when I know that you're not leaving and you know that I'm not leaving. It just makes it so much easier. When you know that, hey, listen, I've given my life to you and you've given your life to me. Everything I have is yours. Everything that you have is mine. And we're in this biblical covenant of marriage. So you know what? Yeah, we're having a real issue right now. This is bad. This stinks. This is not easy. But yet I know that you're not going anywhere. And I know that you're willing to work with me on this thing. And the same way I'm willing to work with you. And you know that I'm not leaving. I'm not going anywhere. And so we can work on this together. Yes, we're having this problem. But we will deal with it in the context of covenant. Not in the context of culture. Amen? So this is the difference. Many times, sex before marriage is not because of lust. It's just because, honestly, you just love this person. Like, you've been with them for a long time, and this is what Paul says. He's like, it's better to, to get married than to burn with lust for one another. But really what he's saying is, hey, like, you just love this person. It's just better to go ahead and get married, dude. Like, like stop putting this thing off. Stop putting off the covenant. Get married. Get in covenant with somebody so that you're not tempting yourself unnecessarily. And so... God defines the boundaries, right? Because we say, well, it's because of love that I'm doing this with this person, not because of lust necessarily. It doesn't make it any less wrong because God's the one that defines sex and defines the boundaries of which we are able to enjoy it. And they're not there to hurt you, these rules. They're there to protect you. What happens when you're physically connected to somebody for months or years outside of the covenant and then that relationship is broken and they leave? What happens? It breaks you. It hurts you. God knows how powerful sex really is. It's not just physical. It's not just emotional. It is spiritual. It has this intense bonding capability. So God wants to protect you even from having your heart broken. It's not just sex. That's what people will say. 
They'll say, well, it's just sex. It's not a big deal. They're kind of taking a play from the Corinthian church. Their bodies don't really matter. It's just sex. It's not that big of a deal. And yet, that's what the porn industry also wants you to believe. Pornography is a multi-billion dollar industry. And it's available now more than it's ever been available before. Now, 30 years ago, okay, pornography is a little bit harder to come by. Like you had to have a dad that was addicted to it and had some magazines hidden under the bed. He had a stash. Or you had to have a friend that had a dad that invited you over and you would find his stash under their bed, right? You know what I'm talking about. It was way, way more difficult to find. Today, you could type in something on your phone and it will be immediately available for you. And this is why we're not gonna have this conversation today, but that's why third and fourth and fifth graders having cell phones sometimes can be kind of an issue. You gotta make sure you lock them things down because it is so incredibly easy for people to access this stuff now. It's never been more available and it's never been more widely used and it's never been more widely used by people younger and younger and younger and younger. I said earlier, the average age for a child to be introduced to pornography today is 12 years old, 12 First time I ever saw something, I was 11, okay? 11 years old, stumbled on it by accident. And yet, how many times does that happen and then it leads to a lifetime of addiction? How many of you maybe stumbled upon something by accident or somebody showed you something when you were young? And then it led to years and years of addiction and problems afterwards. We're gonna talk about it for a second. Uh, Pornography, we get this word, it's actually in the Bible. The Greek is pornea, which is any kind of sexual immorality. So a lot of times when you see, just about every time you see sexual immorality in the Bible, it is this word pornea, which of course is where we get porn pornography from. So Ephesians 5.3, uh, I'm gonna replace sexual immorality with this word. Among you, there must not be even a hint of pornea, of sexual immorality. Uh, any kind of impurity or of greed, because these are improper for God's holy people. I'm going to give you some stats this morning that are a little alarming. I'm going to be completely honest with you. It's that 64% of Christian men and 15% of Christian women view porn monthly. Monthly. Okay, now, we see 64% of Christian men, it's not just men in general, but this is Christian men, those that self-identify. Now, I know a lot of people are nominal Christians. They say, yeah, I'm a Christian, but are they really? Let's be honest, okay? But this is self-identifying men and women that say that, yes, I look at this at least monthly. And then 79% of 18 to 30-year-old men, this is not Christian men, but this is just in general, 79% of 18 to 30-year-old men view porn monthly. So Ephesians 5.3, when Paul is saying, Among you, there must not be even a hint of pornea. There must not be a hint of this stuff on you. Was he only talking to these single people? Was he only talking to the 18-year-olds? No, he was talking to all people. And here's the, the lie I think that Satan wants to tell us too, is that when you get married, that all these problems are gonna go away. Maybe you've been addicted to this stuff for years and years and years. When you get married, all of it's gonna go away. And anybody that's been addicted to this stuff and then has gotten married, you understand that that's almost a laughable statement because it does not go away. It does not 
change. That's not how it works. You're not just dealing with lust anymore, man. You're dealing with something that's so much deeper, that's been taking root inside of you. You gotta uproot this thing from the ground up. And this is the lie that we tell ourselves is that my private battle with lust, my private battle with pornography is not gonna affect my life. It's not gonna affect other people. It's not gonna affect my kids. But if you think that sexual sin is not gonna lead to consequences, then I would say that you're dead wrong. And I'm gonna tell you how sexual sin affects your life. There's three things that it affects, faith, family, and your future. The first one is faith. Sexual sin will create a block between you and God. It will. Try coming to church to worship while you're living a life of sexual sin. It's a lot more difficult. How do I know that? Because I used to do that. I was there. I know what this looks like. I know what this feels like because that was me when I was younger. If you know what it feels like to have a connection with God, and then it's blocked because of sexual sin and you know what that feels like too. And you know the difference between the two of those things. If you've ever felt this amazing Holy Spirit connection to God and then you've had it blocked by sexual sin before, man, you know, you know that you know that it is not the same. And when you walk into church on a Sunday morning and you're trying to worship and raise your hands and yet you just have this overwhelming feeling of being a hypocrite and living a double life, it's blocking your relationship with God. It's blocking the things that God wants to do in your life and through your life. Let me tell you, I know this because that was me when I was younger. You say, well, it won't affect my family. Sexual sin absolutely will affect your spouse and your children, especially your spouse. Why? Most of the time we talk to men in this scenario, and I am gonna talk to them for a second, but I really do believe that pornography will change the way that you view women. This has been proven, it's scientific. It's not even just biblical. It's not even just a philosophical statement, but it will physically rewire the way that you think about women. It will rewire the way that you think about relationships. It rewires the way that you think about what sex is supposed to be and what it's not supposed to be. It will change your marriage for the worse. And you think it won't affect your kids? You think that this thing is just gonna be on you and it's not gonna get passed down to your children. Let me tell you, in the same way that if you grew up in a home with an alcoholic father or mother, you have much more of a chance to become an alcoholic yourself. It is the same thing with sexual sin. Whether or not your kids even know about it or not, let me tell you guys, this stuff is spiritual. It goes way deeper than you even realize. Even in the conversations that you have, you think that it's not changing the way that you talk. You think it's not changing the way that you interact with your kids and with the people around you, but let me tell you, it will. And it'll also affect your future. It affects your faith, it affects your family, it affects your future. And the reason is, is because sexual sin multiplies in its destruction. It's also proven that pornography, a lot of times people will say, well, well, I just do this every once in a while, it's not that big of a deal. I just do this you know, a couple times a month or maybe a few times a year, maybe just only a few times a week, right? It's only every other day. It's only, you see what I'm saying? It gets more and more and more. Why? What does sin do within us? It multiplies. It's like a cancer. It infects you and it grows and grows and grows and grows. And it's not just gonna stay the same. And so we have to understand that porn will not just uh, start and stay the same way that it is, but it will multiply, it will grow, and it will even lead to other sins as well. The last thing I wanna talk about is adultery. 
And this one is super obvious. Like this one should be super, super obvious, but yet I still feel like we need to talk about it. Proverbs 6, 32, he who commits adultery lacks sense. Come on, somebody say amen. He who commits adultery, he who cheats on his wife, uh, she who cheats on her husband lacks sense. And he or she who does it destroys him or herself. All right, let me just put it that way. Hebrews 13, Hebrews 13, 4 says, let marriage be held in honor among all. This is something that's honorable. It should be held in high esteem. And let the marriage bed be undefiled for God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. Matthew 5, 28 says, but I say to you, everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Now, we see these old passage, these Old Testament passages that talk about adultery in a way that's saying, hey, if you cheat on your wife, you cheat on your husband, this is not a good thing, right? Then we get to the New Testament and we see Jesus here talking in Matthew 5, 28. Everyone who even looks at a woman with lustful intent, you've already committed adultery. Now that's pretty intense, Jesus. Good Lord, that's gonna be pretty tough. I don't need to tell you that cheating is wrong. I think everybody here understands that. And if you're doing that, you need to confess your sin. You gotta find healing. But Jesus takes it to the next level. He's saying even allowing yourself to entertain the idea is almost as if you've already done it. Jesus, I don't know if you know this, but he raises the bar on so many of these standards of the Old Testament. A lot of times people think, well, the Old Testament law is not there anymore. Jesus just raises the bar on many of those old laws. And this is one area that he does it. He calls us in the church to an extremely high level of purity. Paul said that there should be not even a what? A hint of sexual immorality among you. Not even a little bit. And to the man who was doing this heinous act with his stepmother, he said, why are you guys allowing this? You, you need to kick him out. And he goes on and he talks about this idea that even just a little bit will infect the whole uses the idea of bread. And he said, how many of y'all know that you have to have uh, yeast? You have to have the leavened bread, right? So you have to have a little bit and it actually infects the whole thing. It'll make it get bigger. And if you don't have any, it stays small. He's saying just a tiny little bit, boom, make the whole thing blow up. You gotta be careful. In your own life, personally, and also as a corporate body, as the house of God, he calls us to a high level of purity. And I think we do have a purity problem in the church. I'm gonna be honest, it gets tolerated because most of the time it's hidden. Most of the time we don't even know that it's there. And this is what Satan wants you to do is he wants you to hide behind it. He wants you to keep it secret. He wants you to not say anything. He wants you to stay stuck in the cycle. He wants you to pass it down to your kids. The same mistakes that you made, your children are gonna make. That's what Satan wants. And yet we know that there is freedom in the name of Jesus, amen. We sang about it earlier, who the son sets free is free indeed. And we believe that that goes for your children and for their children from this generation to the next generation, that if you can be the one to break the cycle of sexual sin, that your children will benefit from it. Your spouse will benefit from it. Your marriage is gonna benefit from it. And this is what we need is to find freedom. We have to attack sexual immorality in our lives and in our churches head on. Not ignore it as if it's not happening. 64% of Christian men are viewing porn monthly. That's the stat, guys. 
And if that's the stat, then we know that there's people that are struggling with this. 15% of Christian women are struggling with this. And yet most of the time we don't even know about it. We don't even talk about it. So I want you to find freedom from sexual sin today. And so there's five C's. If you are taking notes, they're easy. First one is confess to God. You have to bring it to God first. I don't want you to call a therapist first. I don't want you to go to a podcast first. I don't want you to go to your friend first that's also dealing with it. No, I don't want you to go to them. The first person, the first place I want you to go to find healing is to God himself. That's where we find healing. God hears you. And you might feel terrible. You might feel broken. You might feel like, I can't come to God with this. I don't even know if I can ever get over this thing. Let me tell you, by the power of the Holy Spirit, you can find freedom from this addiction. You can find freedom from these sins of your past. You can find wholeness, the guilt and the shame that maybe you've carried with you for years and years and years because of the past mistakes that you've made. Maybe they've even been brought into your marriage. Maybe it was tough because you had to confess to your partner at some point, hey, listen, this is, this is my past and this is what I've done and I, just, I need you to know this before we go any farther. And that was a really, really difficult thing for you to do. You know how hard that was for you to do? I wanna tell you how easy it is to go to God and to find forgiveness. He doesn't make it difficult. All you gotta do is just come to him in your brokenness, in the midst of your pain. There might be stuff that you haven't talked about in 20 years, man. There might be stuff that you've been holding on to for a really, really long time. Go to God first. He will hear you. He will forgive you. And he will completely change you from the inside out. The next thing is I want you to confess to somebody else. Confess to others. So confess to God, confess to others. The Bible says that when you confess your sins to one another, you find healing. Now, that doesn't mean that you need to get up on the stage and just tell everybody all your stuff, okay? That's not what that means. It means you just need to tell somebody. Not everybody, okay? Somebody. I don't know if y'all have ever been to the youth camp where the guy gets up on the stage and just like says, I've been watching porn for five years. And then it's just like super awkward for everybody. You know what I mean? You don't have to do that, okay? You don't have to do that. What you do need to do is you need to tell somebody, somebody that's close to you, somebody that you can trust. Maybe you need to confess to the person that you've sinned against. You need to be willing to have that conversation because without it, I don't think you're gonna find healing. Confess your sins to one another. The next thing is you need to call a pro. Call a therapist, call a counselor. Deal with these things that you haven't dealt with before. Yes, of course we go to God and God can help us find this inner healing, but there's something about uh, having this person sitting across from you that's dealt with dozens, if not hundreds of other people that have gone through the same thing. They've helped them to find healing by dealing with some of these things in your past. Man, let me tell you, it's a beautiful thing when you talk to somebody that knows how to deal with these things. The next thing I want you to do is I want you to cut the temptation. Number four, delete that app that you know is causing you to sin. If you need to get off TikTok, you need to get off Instagram for a while. If you need to get off Snapchat, if you need to get off of your smartphone entirely and go back to a Nokia brick phone, like I don't even care. Like some of y'all don't even know what that is over here, but it's all good. But if you need to go back to that kind of life, if you need to put a, 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 a 
blocker on your web browser so that you're not looking at things. Listen, it doesn't make you any less of a man. Or it doesn't make you any less of a woman to understand that we are sinful in nature and I'm going to do whatever I have to do to remain pure before God. How is that a problem? We think that that makes us weak. It doesn't make you weak. It makes you strong because you understand that, hey, this is what I need to do in order to make sure that my marriage is solid. If this is what I need to do to make sure that my walk with God is solid, then I'm gonna do that thing. And it doesn't make you any weaker of a person to do that. Don't go to that place anymore, man. Don't go to that bar. Don't go to that club anymore, man. We don't need to be doing that kind of stuff. Why? Because it's just gonna put you right back in that same place of temptation again. Don't even put yourself in that situation. It's like an alcoholic walking into a bar and then being like, you know, I'm strong, I'm good. It's like, dude, no, why would you do that to yourself? It doesn't even make sense. Don't put yourself in a place of temptation just to try to prove something to yourself. Don't do it. The last thing is, after you've confessed to God, you've confessed to others, you've called a pro, you've cut the temptations out of your life, you've had the conversations that you've need to had, you've done all the things that you need to do in order to get yourself away from this addiction, to get yourself away from these past sins of your life, the best thing that you get to do is number five, and that is you get to celebrate freedom in the name of Jesus, amen? You get to celebrate the freedom that you have in Christ and thank God that I am not who I used to be, but that God has taken me from death to life. He's taken me from addiction to freedom in the name of Jesus. He's taken me from this place of darkness and he has put me now into the light. All of my sins of my past are gone and he treats me as if they had never even happened. This is the beauty of the gospel, amen? That even though you've sinned in your past, even though you have messed up, even if you cheated before, even if you've been addicted to porn for 15 or 20 years, man, let me tell you, you find freedom today, right here, right now, and God will change your life forever and you never have to walk back to that thing ever again. It is possible. I'm telling you, it's possible. You're like, no, I, I just don't even know that's, this is just what guys do. No, it's not. It's not. We have to understand that. It does not have to be this way. And yet many men and many women have just accepted that this is something that I'm gonna deal with for the rest of my life. No, you will not in the name of Jesus. Have some gumption about you. Have some faith, man, that God can take this thing and break it off of you. And if you're dealing with it right now, let me tell you, I don't ever want you to feel guilt or shame or condemnation. We talked about that a few weeks ago. I want you to be free in the name of Jesus. I want you to be free. There might be a confession that needs to be made. A lot, and a lot of times, it'll be, uh, this is how it goes. It's the men that need to tell the women. It's the husband that needs to tell the wife, okay? And a lot of you think that you can go the rest of your life and just keep this to yourself. Could you? Sure. Will you find as much healing and as much wholeness in your marriage? No. So there might be a confession that needs to be made uh, from a spouse to another spouse. And let me tell you right now, it is completely normal for the other person to be angry, maybe even furious, absolutely devastated. Wives, I, I've heard this conversation so many times. Man confesses and, and the wife just feels so insecure now. Like, am I not enough for you? Like what is this? Why do you have to be watching this stuff? Why did you go and do this thing? Or why are you entertaining these thoughts? Or, and every single one of those feelings is justified. But I would encourage 
These conversations first off to happen, they need to happen. This is how you find healing. But I'm gonna talk to you women just for a second because if there's a man that comes to you and confesses this sin to you, let me just encourage you that there's a man before you that is broken, that is wounded, that is dealing with something that he feels like he cannot even get over himself. He don't wanna be like this. He don't wanna deal with this. He doesn't wanna hurt you. And he's coming to you because he loves you enough to tell you the truth and to ask you for help. Please, would you help me? I'm so sorry. I remember when I had to have that conversation with Lindsay before we got married. Hey, this is everything that I've ever done. I was just straight up honest with her. I'm not going into a marriage with you without telling you everything. You deserve to know. And it was hard. I don't think we talked for a few days. <laughs> That's okay. I was ready to, I was prepared for that. And yet she found it within her heart to understand that, you know what, this is, this is your past. This isn't who you are. I believe that. And we were able to move on and have the marriage that we have today her not holding those things ever against me, the same way that God doesn't hold anything against you when you come to him. And so women and men in this place, I encourage you, if somebody comes to you and has this conversation with you and confesses something to you, would you be open to understanding that, man, this thing is deep and yes, this is gonna hurt. And I'm not saying that you have to, I'm not telling you what reconciliation looks like between the two of you. But what I am saying is if somebody comes to you and says, I need help, please, I don't wanna hurt you. I don't wanna do this anymore. Help them get the help that they need and help them find the healing in Jesus that God wants for them, regardless of what it does to you and your relationship. But be open to having the conversation because I think that's where we find healing. Would you stand with me today? I know this has been tough. I know it's been difficult. And there's some people in here today that you've dealt with this kind of stuff for a very long time and you never talked to anybody about it. My one takeaway for you today is just simply to do that, to confess to God, confess to somebody that you need to talk to, call a pro, cut those temptations, and then you get to celebrate freedom and you don't have to deal with this thing any longer. I wanna pray for each and every one of you. I'm not gonna ask you to raise your hand today, anything like that. I just simply want you in your own heart to say, hey, you know what, Pastor Trevor, that's me. I've been dealing with this thing. Maybe you're not currently dealing with it, but it's something that's been in your past and Satan keeps reminding you of this thing from your past and you need to let go of it. I wanna pray for you as well. So would you bow your heads with me today as we pray? Father God, I thank you that you're in this place today. There's somebody here that's dealing with sexual sin. There's somebody here today that has been looking at things they shouldn't be looking at, has been entertaining ideas that they shouldn't be entertaining is dealing with lust in their heart and they feel like they can't get over it. And God, right now, I just pray that somebody here today would be reminded that you are greater than any sin that is in our life, that you have the miracle working power to break every chain in our life, not most of the chains in our lives and that we're gonna have to deal with this one for the rest of our lives. Absolutely not. You are able to do immeasurably more than we can ask, think, or imagine. And so God, I pray that in the name of Jesus, that sexual sin is broken right now off of somebody today, right here, right now. That pornography is broken in the name of Jesus off of somebody right here, right now. 
that adultery, cheating, lustful thoughts to somebody that is not their wife or their husband is broken right now in the name of Jesus. God, we thank you for freedom, that because you have set us free, Jesus, that we are free indeed, and we can walk in freedom and wholeness. We don't have to deal with this thing any longer, but it can be broken today right here, right now. So Father, I pray somebody that feels hopeless that you would give them hope right now. Somebody that needs to have that conversation with somebody in their life that you would give them courage and bravery to step up and do the thing that they know they need to do. And God, I pray that you would help us to support one another as we walk through this path of healing and of restoration. Help us, Lord, to be open to understanding that we all sin and we've all fallen short. And God, these things, sometimes they're so deep and they cut deep and they hurt us, God. But Lord, we want to be as supportive as we can. And I want to help somebody through this thing. So God, help me personally, help our church, family, to help those that are dealing with this, to find the help they needed, to find the freedom in you, Jesus. We thank you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, amen. Can we just put our hands together for Jesus this morning? I know it's been tough, but...